What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Booch Please Podcast. At this point, I forgot which episode we're on, but all I know is I have a great guest who is joining me today. I've had the pleasure of working with him one-on-one. He is a former professional athlete, so he's pretty jacked and strong. He is a professional chef, so he also has a palate and knows food, which are people that I love. He's an entrepreneur. He's an influencer. He's a mental health advocate. Him and his team just came in first place in the entire country for the Speed Project, which is this crazy ultra marathon event that involves over 30 hours of running with no sleep. Sounds like a luxury vacation. (laughs) And I've had the pleasure of being his nutrition coach, prepping for that event. And since seven days ago, is it seven days? or six days. He's become a father. Welcome to zaddyhood, as the millennials would say. (laughs) Thank you. I wasn't sure what you're referring to and how many days, but yeah, fatherhood's been six days. Six days. Remember when your life was just measured by days? Like That was a great time. (laughs) Hours. Yes, exactly. Um, Well, I want to say a huge welcome to Dan Gennetto. I hope I'm saying your last name right. Um, and I'm just going to get him to introduce himself a little bit. And then I want to talk about some really awesome, just mental health and personal development topics today. So tell the good people at home a little bit more about yourself. Thanks so much for having me, Corinne. This is exciting. Very, very, very exciting. Um, a bit about myself. I grew up, um, in Waterloo and always wanted to become a chef. So I worked in 13 different countries. I trained as a chef um, wow. under Michel Rue, which is uh, at the time was number 35 in the world. I uh, worked in my Michelin star um, restaurant uh, experience and then went to get my sommelier uh, in London, England, cooked uh, for the rich and the famous and then started consulting. Um, and through consulting, I kind of fell in love with business models and really wanted to become you know, a businessman to understand more about that. And I, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of currently the, the phase of my life that I'm in right now. Um, balancing being an entrepreneur and uh, an aspiring investor and <clears throat> businessman with fatherhood now, which is uh, in my first week of fatherhood. So um, yeah, Corinne, you've been a, a huge help. Um, and I know we'll get more into that, but um, in balancing all this and balancing the extreme, uh, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, ultra marathons, um, trying to break in this world records, trying to at one point become the best chef in the world and now uh, build a family, um, understand and build wealth uh, at the same time, you know, be uh, a fairly um, elite level of athlete, not formally, um, but, you know, just a, a fairly high performing athlete all at the same time. So, I think uh, that's probably a good enough background to get into it. Yeah, there's a lot to work with there. Thank you for for listing out your essay of of resume. (laughs) I think it's so cool that you've had such a variety of life experiences. You've worked in these different environments. You've assumed different roles on teams, in different settings, in different professions. What do you think drives you to be so curious about all of these different areas of the human experience? At, at the beginning, I actually recognized that anxiety was driving me and fear was driving me. Mm. Um, I recognized in my third season of running, my coach stopped and uh, kind of put that, you know, ever-loving mirror in front of your face so you can have the reflection. And she said, what, what do you run for? 
And I meditated on it and I realized it was really, really deeply seated and that I was running for a goal. I was running to break a world record. I was running to, you know, get the number one in the country. But she's like, the process is just stressing you out so much. Where, where, where is that underlying fear? Did some therapy and realized that my cousin uh, committed suicide. And this was a few years ago. Wow. And he lost his why. And by, by me running and always having this extreme end goal was my why. And I, you know, just had this uh, negative association that if I didn't have this end goal, if I wasn't doing some extreme marathon, that I would kill myself. And it was really deeply seated wow. in that I learned a ton about myself in that moment. And literally that week I talked to my coach and my therapist and, and, and said, I'm, I'm going to, you know, quit running for a little while because I think I can still be a healthy individual and not have to just be grinding away. I'm going to try and find a balance to enjoy running and just, you know, not to be some sort of crazy athlete. And that was 2019. I took the whole season off. It uh, ran probably less than 10 times the entire year. What an inspiring story. First of all, it takes <laughs> so much courage to say, to recognize this is the one thing that's keeping me alive potentially. And I'm going to let go of it and see what happens. Yeah. And I guess in that dis discovery, what do you think propelled you to view running and view these extreme goals and extreme ambitions as a form of like validation? Like who do you think in your life showed you that that was what you needed to do or where, what circumstances or situations or life lessons like informed this belief about the world and yourself? Um, part of a very competitive family. So um, with having, and it's, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the best and the worst, like you have a, a very supportive family. Um, and then you, you yourself create these expectations because you want um, everything that they give you, you want to kind of give back. And it's just, just you can make it a, an unhealthy or healthy relationship. Um, but it was just that. It was just being hyper-competitive um, was kind of like the catalyst of it, um, I would say, <laughs> not to overthink it, you know. Yeah. And there's no competition like family competition like that yeah. hurts deep in the heart. So I grew up as an only child, which means I had no competition. And in some ways, I feel like the grass is always greener, right? Like I see other people with lots of siblings. I'm like, oh, they they're so great and they're so competitive and they thrive under pressure because they grew up in that environment. Whereas I grew up just almost having an entitlement to all of my parents love because there's just wasn't anybody to share it with. Um, whereas I see people with a really big family, you know, sometimes they can feel like drowned out or just unseen because there's so many of them. Um, and then they see someone like an only child and they're like, okay, that's way better than what I have. So it's, it's like this funny comparison. Um, I think it was back in last year when I first met you through a run club called the food runners, shout out to them. Yeah. I think they're still operating throughout the pandemic. Good mm -hmm. for them. Um, and then from there, you reached out about this project or this panel that you were a part of with our mutual friend now, Kayla. Can you tell yeah. people more about where this project, what this project was about and where the idea came from? Yeah, um, Move to Heal. Well, Kayla asked me to be on a panel originally and, and a bit about Move to Heal. They're um, a group that helps out with mental health. They're a group that supports each other. Um, we always choose a topic and then try and do a panel. So we had just done a panel on grit and I was at the point where I just quit running and I was like, I don't know if I'm a grit <laughs> kind of guy right now. Like, but I hear you, I'll go on the panel I, as it related to this panel that we did. Um, it was all about disordered eating. It was about nutrition. It was about mm -hmm. um, connecting a community 
I was talking, thinking about anxiety. I was thinking about all these different uh, thoughts and feelings and, and around nutrition um, was actually what it ended up being with. So disordered eating was a, a, a great healthy topic for the time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because although the pandemic has been awful, I think it's also afforded a lot of people the opportunity for reflection because there's so much less going on in their social lives and they don't have to commute to work anymore. They just have so much more space to confront these sort of issues, these like mental health struggles that they've been encountering. So in your experience, because you've been a professional athlete and you continue to be so active and you're surrounded by people who are athletic and maybe even competitive, do you think disordered eating is like a common uh, issue in the fitness and health communities and industry? Very much so. In the fitness and health industries with athletes um, in general, Absolutely, because you, you, it's all about the end goal and it's all about, you know, unfortunately disconnecting. It's saying you want to push mm. past what your, your body is telling you to do and what you want to push past when your mind is telling you to quit. If you, if you really want to get to elite levels, and uh, so I, I, never, I never actually became a full professional athlete. I played college. I got redshirted uh, for three years and I was um, basically on my way trying to get to the CFL and then it was just like not able to get there. So I actually peaked in high school, Corinne. (laughs) That's the biggest lie I've ever heard in 2020. (laughs) You have not peaked. I don't even think you peaked now and you're doing so well. uh, (laughs) I'm just first in the country, but I peaked like 20 years ago. So this isn't even my best. Like what? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's so prevalent. I think it takes on so many different forms. And we were on a panel just this past week where I mentioned, I think in sport, especially competitive sport or professional sport, uh, dedication and commitment and discipline are often misconstrued or they're blurred with compulsion and obsession and dependency, right? It's, It's kind of like when you were running, if running is the only thing that's keeping you alive, it's a dependency. It's no longer like bringing you joy. You're doing it because you absolutely need to for survival. And that pulls like the fun out of it. Um, And it takes away from the rest of your life where where you can develop that same intensity in relationships or in your career and your entrepreneurship and things like that. So it's so interesting because we like really congratulate people and we celebrate and glorify hard work but oftentimes we overlook the fact that it could just be, you know, there could be like underlying mental health issues that we're egging on. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're championing something that intentionally uh, was supposed to be something positive and supposed to be something that's actually, you know, good for mental health and uh, get you back in a flow state. And, and the underlying um, issue or need was actually negative and you're feeding this thing. It's, it's, it's wild yeah. for sure. What are some personal familial societal expectations and pressures that contributed to the persistence of these mental health issues for you? To a point, I know I started off saying that I put the own pressure on myself, but Mm -hmm. um, for instance, when I decided to, you know, attempt for the first Guinness World Record, um, you've got a community that is supportive, but now you've got this expectation set. So now I've got um, all these people uh, a group, the the running groups, or multiple running groups that are, you know what I mean, excited and, and pushing me. You've got your family 
pushing you. You've got mm. now I, I, I layered on corporate sponsorship. And so you've got the sponsors saying like, you're not going to get paid unless you hit this record. And then that's all going to charity. So now I've got animals that are literally going to die if I don't get this money. And it's like, so there was there, I mean, there was, I, I'm not afraid to put like, just like layer on the levels, um, but to motivate myself, which sometimes I realize just feeding this, this pain body or this fear body, you know? Yeah. It is such a confusing relationship because if I look, <laughs> <You're telling me. laughs> yeah, if I look at the, you know, what I've experienced in my life, so much of it came because of these expectations and the anxiety and the fear of failure. So it's almost like I have to attribute so many things that I'm thankful for in my life because of this really toxic thing that I was going through. However, um, I think that belief or the, the, that perception fuels me to want to continue to have anxieties because it's like, well, if I don't have anxieties, how would I get better? Going back to the panel, um, you were training for the speed project. You needed support with nutrition and you wanted to sort out so many disordered eating um, issues that have been underlying. Um, so at the time when I started working with you, uh, what were some specific things that you were really struggling with, with that race in particular? With that race in particular, I was struggling with the volume of training at the beginning. Right. And then when the volume of training came on, um, nutritionally, I was struggling with the amount of fuel, food, calories, um, everything that I needed to intake, um, from hydration, from physical food, from everything. So those were... Uh, huge struggles. And, and that was all centered around, you know, um, negative self-belief and me not being able to do it. So that, that's mm -hmm. where it starts to layer. There's like, the, right. you know, my stomach's physically not big enough. Um, I, 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 I'm not used to drinking four liters of water and consuming 4,000 calories a day. Okay. That's physical. The mental is you're just not good enough to do it. You're going to fail. You know what I mean? So that's where mm -hmm. it starts layering in. Those are some of the challenges at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I should have done this in the beginning, but could you tell us a little bit more about the speed project and what it was all about, what the race was like? Yeah. The speed project is super cool. Um, founded by um, a couple crazy guys and uh, <laughs> a couple girls who just literally said, Hey, we're going to go from lock Angeles to Las Vegas and we're going to run through Death Valley which has records of the hottest um, temperatures in the world spiking mm -hmm. and we're going to do this all as a relay and we're going to run for you know 30 40 hours straight until we get there and, and you're doing the equivalent of uh, two two and a half marathons per person with no sleep in an RV um, and then you want to kind of layer on those nutritional challenges and the mental health challenges. And yeah, it's, it's big. So, uh, Neil, Scotty blue, the three founders said, Hey, we're going to uh, do this DIY because of COVID. So we decided to go to Niagara, um, Ontario wine country, get a, a little B and B with uh, a pool and, you know, like do it like not as aggressive and to say, we're going to do 10 K death loops until our 31 hours, ends and, and, and call it a day. So it was the 31.15 hour relay um, of us essentially running at uh, marathon pace or um, in layman's terms, pretty much sprinting the whole time. So prior to competing in this or committing to this race, did you have any experience working with nutritionists or dietitians before? Quite a bit. With, with football, um, 
in university, I was, you know, consuming up to 7,000 calories a day. And I was uh, having to, I was trying to hit 230 pounds of 6% body fat. And in layman's terms, that just means that you're basically trying to have the max amount of lean muscle without having any fat and, and burning all these calories. It's just not something the human body is used to in, in a nutshell. Right. And so going through this process again, did any of the previous, I don't want to call them traumas, but like just negative. You can um, call them traumas. <laughs> <laughs> did you have PTSD coming into working with me yeah, this time sure. around? <laughs> yeah, it was, I've, I've never experienced shell shock, but there's definitely some PTSD going oh back to consuming like, like a dozen chicken breasts and two loaves of bread, like for a meal. Like it's like, not human. As people, we just gravitate towards stability and security. That's what our entire ego is trying to do is create this like understanding of the world where we feel secure and safe and in control. But anytime you're switching things up, particularly in nutrition or health and wellness, you're committing to change and that can be very scary for people. So were there any points in the journey where you felt extremely uncomfortable or just really, really challenged to the point of... Yeah, uh, I actually, I called uh, our coach Andrew thoughts and I, I quit. I just said, I can't do this. And I actually, I, I, I formulated everything. Asked a friend, uh, Gabriel, who ended up coming and, and supporting. And I said, Hey, can you run for me? He's like, I was hoping to come and support you. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. Uh, you know what I mean? And then they ended up, you know, they knew each other. They kind of pushed me back into it and said, like, if, if you're not going to run, walk, if you're not going to walk, meditate, if you can't meditate, journal, if you can't journal, call me, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, just do something and try and get back on this track. I, they're like, it was so nice. So like, we both know you're strong. I, I think your mind's getting in the way in the nicest way possible. And I was mm -hmm. like, cool. I was like, someone believes in me. Like this thing's not believing in myself. So yeah, ended up doing it, which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As someone who's gone through so much in their lives, you've overcome so much. It still is hard when you embark on yeah. something new like this. Yeah. Um, it never gets easier. You just become more resilient. Or luckily, I think you surrounded yourself with really great people who believe in you, even in moments where you don't believe in yourself. And then they're able to uplift you a little bit to the point where you're able to carry on. And that's so important. That's what the point of having a community is. Yeah, 100%. Team, community, environment, intake. Um, all these things, you, even the, the thoughts that you surround yourself, all these things are so, so critically important to, to the outcomes that you actually create your reality. So absolutely. For me, a question that I get oftentimes is where do you find motivation or how do you find motivation? And one of the biggest sources of motivation for me isn't in like outcomes or results. It's just in being around people that believe in themselves and I see that and I get inspired or who believe in me when I fall down or am going through a low phase. What about you? What are some things that you do for yourself to like pull yourself out of that, um, that negative mindset? I, I think habit replacement and, and going through personal development myself, um, positive reinforcement, literally sitting there and, and knowing that the biggest thing for me is like, I'm not good enough. So I'll literally sit down and I'll write, I am good enough because, and I'll write 20 different things and I'll do that 30 minutes a day. So things like that. Also, you know, time blocking stuff and having a, a good morning. So no matter when I get up, no matter what, no matter what I'm feeling, I'm going to get up at a certain time. And these things are really, you know, way easier said than done. 
but it's just kind of like not doing everything at once, slowly, you know, approaching and kind of adding one thing at a time. For the running, it was it was uh, starting it with three workouts a week from when COVID hit, and saying that's my that's my base, that's my bare minimum. I know my body can do it. It's going to be my mind, and I'm going to work through that. And then it was like a slow progression, sixteen weeks until PSP, the Speed Project, hit, and there you go. It's a slow build all the way up, and it, and, and it works, you know. Yeah, and just trusting in the program, trusting that if you just do the work, that the rest will come. You know, there are some days where it's so easy to doubt things that haven't come yet or that aren't in front of you yet. But I think that's where having faith in yourself and your and in your hard work really comes in. Yeah, and when faith uh, goes away and you don't have the faith in yourself, then making sure the actions speak louder than the thoughts. That that the thoughts are there and you're you're managing the emotions, but you're still doing the actions. That's the key. Like a really cool animation that I've watched. that kind of depicts how meditation works or how it supports uh, positive thinking is like our thoughts are like traffic. And instead of us running into the middle of the road to try to stop traffic or try to reroute traffic, um, our job is to just observe thoughts. We don't have to let them amount to actions. We don't have to react to them right away. If we're just able to observe them and acknowledge them and validate that they're okay, it's okay that they exist, um, it just gives us so much more peace and that sense of control um, over the outcome in the situation. Yeah, um, absolutely. So in what ways do you find the mental fortitude for training through a grueling race like that could translate into everyday life for you? Like what are some like life lessons that you took away from doing a crazy ultra marathon? The, the journey is the most important, that I love people that it doesn't matter if you're doing something extreme. Like it doesn't matter if you're running your first kilometer mm-hmm. or, or you're running a hundred miler. Yeah. It's the feeling, it's the community, it's the people, it's the interaction. It's all that, it's all the journey. Like the, the champagne shower at the end was great. But if we didn't get first in the country, we probably would have done it anyway. Like it's like, it, it, you know what I mean? It's the, the outcome is what you make it. So it's really just, taking a deep breath, calming down and being okay with whatever the outcome is, but still putting in that work. In what ways do you think that shows up in like entrepreneurship or being a chef um, or even being like a father? Like how does that correlate? Do you think? Even doing something like this, it's um, helping to build a brand as opposed to me uh, doing an outreach and making sure there's 10 million people on the podcast if there's three amazing like great if we say if we you know what i mean there's three (laughs) there's only three (laughs) yeah it's like your mom my mom (laughs) but really it's it's uh, i get more excitement out of building something out of being a true part of something rather than you know paying for pr agency and going out and get like the functional aspect i get it but where it really hits me right here is is exactly stuff like this. Like you can take two hours out of your day and do something and, and help build something where it's like, it's not on the top of Forbes 500, but that's okay. You're going to get there. That's the whole point. Like this, this, this is the time you go mm-hmm. back. Like Gary V's first wine video, like, ah, oh, would I have died to been in that? Yeah, cool. <laughs> the, the, o, the OG first video. Like, yeah. 
that's that's the, that's the entrepreneur that's the love that's what i love love, yeah. love being part of you know i know the i'm underrated not underdog hard work <laughs> the process the journey like the <laughs> get back up on your feet give me 10 more yeah i'm not looking forward to watching re-watching this episode where we're recording on zoom with our uh <laughs> headphones <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh, what happened? Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, humble beginnings. And it's just fun. Like when you're able to enjoy the process, it makes everything just fun. It doesn't feel like work. And I don't think we should be living to work. Right. Um, No, I I agree. I, and I, I, I belabor this over my, in my mind over and over and over. I, because I'm, I'm a part of a company called eFresh. And you know, there, there's times when it's really, really stressful. And I think, you know, the company may be going into a way that doesn't connect with my values, or I tried to make the whole company vegan or, and it's like, uh, you have to continue making sure that you're, you're doing functional work, but at some level it connects with your heart. And there's a reason, like the team's amazing. My business partners are amazing. Rob, Ryan, uh, Robert Carter, Robert Live, like all these guys are just like so in it. That brings up a really interesting paradox I've been kind of exploring in my head is that I think most people go through life wanting to be perfect. Like it's not, it's not this obscure thing. Everyone strives for perfection at some point in their lives, but most people don't actually think about how great they want to be. They just want to be good enough, which kind of blows my mind is like, on one hand, we all just want to belong. We just want to be good enough for someone and then on the other hand, we're striving for perfection. Um, I, I just feel like there's such a disconnect between these two logics, but we still subscribe to them, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it just sounds more and more extrinsic the more you talk about it. And it's like, hold on. If you closed your eyes and thought about what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. No, I think th- these are things that a lot of people don't acknowledge on a day-to-day basis when they do the things that they think they love or the thing that they should do. Um, it's not a choice. It's more of like a, well, this is what everyone else does, or this is a should. Um, and, and that's such a different life. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately I think a fear is guiding a lot of people. And if there's anyone working an office job at a bank, not that banks are bad, but I'm just saying at a job that they really don't like, I say that because my brother worked for the bank for 17 years and I think probably suppressed a lot of things, but thought he was doing the right thing and now he's at a startup crushing it had three kids like just living living a life you know i just felt like as soon as he came out of that bubble like he's the best version of himself and if you if you feel like that it's it's okay to make a change it's okay to reach out Mm -hmm. it's like that's the fear as soon as you get over that fear hump it's like amazing you can you can actually like have your cake and eat it too like you, you truly can Mm-hmm. it's like you can get up you can do the work that you love you can be in love with the work that you do and then you can get paid for it and it doesn't feel like work and sometimes it does but it's like again that that healthy yeah. balance and that's as opposed to it all just being this sucks this sucks this sucks i'm waiting for the weekend like there's no way to live no but i think people are stumped by the like pressures and the expectations that we talked about right the things that we yes. think other people want from us when truly like our loved ones just want us to be happy like that, that was kind of an ongoing thread we discussed too, is like, how does your state affect the people around you? How does this goal impact your loved ones? How does you achieving this thing or having better nutrition, being better fueled, how does that impact the people around you? 
Um, and I think when you extrapolate the purpose too beyond just it satisfies me or it makes me happy um, and you make it not selfish anymore, it feels so good. It feels like the right thing to do and you get the validation from yourself. But um, I want to bring it back to Miles, which I feel like is a very fitting name considering you're a runner. <laughs> what- yeah, it's uh, not overcomplicated. Kate and I kind of fell in love, started running together, and we're like, oh, let's call our baby Miles. Like, oh my, <laughs> my dad God. has this story. He's like, oh, there's Greek warriors. And I was like, no, 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 dad. This is like no. one dimensional. <laughs> we run and we run Miles, and that's his name. That's it. <laughs> uh, also such a hunky name. So it worked out. I think it's great. Um, so you're now a father. What about your mental health and physical health journey? Do you want to impart onto him? Like what would be your legacy to him from everything that you've learned? I thought a lot about this and I just I want to empower him. Um, you know, it's like share the good stuff, but like all the, all the bad stuff, make sure like protect him from, but you realize you can't really do that. So then I thought past that and I thought, okay, you can't, you got to have this, this balance. What I'd really like is that I can support him to do whatever it is he wants to do and be the best version of himself truly. And then someone's like, Oh, what do you mean? Like, he's going to be a football player. I'm like, no, no. If he wanted to like, I'm thinking future. If this guy wants to be like a gamer or he doesn't believe in, in real life and he only wants to be digital and I can only connect with him on a headset. And, and we get to the point where, there's no nutrition needed. You can hook yourself up to an <laughs> IV and you don't need to, you, you're literally like four five, 600 pounds sitting on a chair, but, and somehow that supports the best version of himself. And it's something that we can't comprehend right now. Um, that's okay. Like, I don't, I, I have no expectations. The intention is that you can support this little man. I, maybe he wants to become a woman sometime. It's like, really like open the mind up, like let, mm. let, let this human, Ugh. maybe he wants to change his name. Let this human just excel. That's what I'm excited about. He's so lucky. God damn it. Yeah. Do you want to adopt me? <laughs> Are you guys accepting uh, new uh, daughters? I can cook. I can clean. I make kombucha. <laughs> no, uh, that's so sweet. I think that's, the best gift you could ever give him. I think parents get caught up. They're like, we need to buy the best stroller. We need to get him cool shoes, cool outfits. Yeah, that's all great. But ultimately, if you just let him be his own person and figure out life for himself with like, obviously supporting him with as much love and wisdom as he, he wants and needs, then that's all you can do like as, as parents. And that's so beautiful. I love what you said. Check, check back, check back. In the <laughs> this is day six. My, yes. <laughs> I, I recorded a couple of videos as well. I was like, Miles, this is for you. Like, this is my intention. If somehow I, I totally fucked this up along the way, like you, you oh gotta go God. back to this video. But also I feel like this will be the first generation of children that are hopefully hopefully raised by parents that have done like this really deep personal development um, or have gone through these journeys and have reflected. I think in previous generations, this wasn't talked about. Mental health was not at the level of advocacy as it is now. And there's still a long way to go. But I think even now, like this is so much better that you are a complete person and you've dealt with so many of your demons that you're going to be just that much of a greater dad for him. And I think it'll always be that way to the point where it's like evolution will never stop. Yeah, fair. So if, if you if you look a year down the road, it's always going to be a condensed, compressed, more efficient version. 
happier version, more enlightened, every single bit of it. You know what I mean? It's the, the, the world's always going in that direction. So it's like you can every single generation, you can say the same thing and know that it's going in that direction, that curve. Right. So good point. It's just with the technology era, it's um, so accelerated. Like it's never been oh, yeah. this accelerated in human history. So it'd be so interesting to see like when Miles becomes a parent, if he wants to be, um, what that generation will be like. <laughs> yeah. And to that point, three generations down the road, I can fully expect that, you know, maybe people will want to live digital only lives or maybe people will want not, they want to act or interact with humans. Um, play the COVID thing out a hundred years and, you know, maybe like humans will be the number one public enemy. And it's like, you, you can only interact on a digital system. Like, I, I think, I think trying to calm yourself and thinking about these things in a positive light to say that wh wherever the world naturally flows and ebbs and, and you need to not need the, the, the goal is to be able to, to flex and to flow with whatever happens and to lead with love and to try and get your morals, your values, like all the, all the good stuff in, in a, in a completely um, open and unconditional, unconditional way. You know, that's, that's the goal anyway. Couldn't have said that better myself. Wow. <laughs> On that note, I want to say a huge thank you to you for engaging in the interview. Before we plug um, all of your socials, all of your amazing companies, I wanted to go through a rapid fire round of questions with you. So sure. first thing that comes to mind, are you ready? Ready. All right. Where were you born? Uh, born in Waterloo. Oh, oh, that's right. You mentioned it at the beginning. Uh, what is your favorite animal? Favorite animal is the liger. The liger. Oh my God. Uh, Gen Zers will not understand that reference. So uh, yeah, you're, you're just dating yourself hardcore there. <laughs> They're like, what is he talking about? Um, how do you take your coffee? You don't drink coffee very often anymore. With, with so much uh, cream and sugar. <laughs> All the goodness. <laughs> what is your favorite sport to watch? I don't think I know this about you. Favorite sport to watch is, is basketball, and I typically only like watching it live. I don't watch any TV. What a time to be alive in Toronto for basketball. Uh -huh. Yeah, excited. What would your last meal on earth be as a professional chef? <laughs> last meal on earth would be braised short ribs with red wine and uh, palm mousseline, which is basically so much cream, and the potatoes are just an excuse to, to emulsify it. So that's just those three elements dead simple that was the most chef answer i've ever heard wow <laughs> <laughs> do you have a go-to karaoke song go-to karaoke gin and juice all day long gin and juice oh so good also, also dating yourself with that one i like it <laughs> um, <laughs> I am who I am. yeah fair um so you've been to so many places you've worked in so many different countries what is the favorite place you've ever visited like i want specifics like a park or like a beach yeah, the favorite place ever was specifically spending time with the Maasai Mara tribe in Africa. And the specific moment was jumping and doing like really getting in, inside of their ceremony. So I know it's a rapid fire question, but getting yeah. in their ceremony, making uh, fire with, with wood sticks and like that, that moment in Africa with the Maasai Mara tribe was mind blowing. Okay, we're gonna pause the rapid fires. What was the context behind that? What a crazy cool memory to have, very unique. 
but yeah, it was wild. I, I was opening the Savoy up as a chef, just mm. got hired uh, by Gordon Ramsay at the time. Uh, their company couldn't bring me on due to economic constraints, and I wasn't getting paid some obscene amount of money. Uh, so the government said I was under. So I went downstairs. They hired me. And I ended up winning an all-inclusive five-star trip, fully paid with uh, credit cards running expenses from the Savoy, from the grand opening of this $500 million renovation and the most expensive renovation hotel in history. So I won it. I won the grand grand prize. I was working like, you know, I, I'd just come on. I was like three weeks old in the company um, for the Savoy anyway. And I won this trip. So I got to go to the Masai Mara, got flown out five star. Like it, it, it literally is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a dream come true. I can't even like, I can't even fathom what that must've felt like um, in that moment. But you spend tens of thousands of dollars to get somewhere and, and you enjoy like making uh, a fire with sticks and jumping with people. Yeah. It's like, how raw is that? You, yeah. the, the funny thing is you have to spend so much to just get back to like the basics. Mm-hmm. It's just energy. What a metaphor. Is there a quote that motivates you? A quote that motivates me? Um, just do it. You know what? That quote, I think, shaped uh, an entire era of people, too. So it's a, it's a very iconic one. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Warren Buffett. I feel like I knew this. <laughs> you have a big man crush on him. Yeah, I got it. Everything crushed. That, that, He's a smart that guy, uh, yeah, the huge, huge, like, idol, mentor, like, whatever you want to read the guy's books. Pretty incredible. Awesome. If he wasn't available, I'd settle for Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates is cute. I just listened to a podcast with him and Dax Shepard. And I just, he's like, he sounds like the cutest old man, but like, again, changed the entire freaking world, you know, just so low key about it. I love people like that. Um, do you have a favorite kombucha flavor or is there a flavor combo you think I should try? I think you should somehow try gin and juice. Gin. <laughs> you know what? Kombucha and gin have been combined together at my house before and it's a match made I, in I would I would do the non-alcoholic version and I would get... I would forage juniper berries. This is a chef coming out, but forage juniper yeah. berries. Okay. I would call I'm, Mel Finn I'm to get those. Taking notes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I would literally get, uh, oh, what's it called? The active ingredient in tonic water. Um, and I know, I can't remember the name of it, but active ingredient in tonic water. And those two things, that's, that's the gin and the juice. Okay. Okay. So you can make where can I, gin and juice. Where can I find juniper berries? Uh, Melissa Finn, if you're tuned in get some juniper berries sent over she's not um it's just my mom and your mom that's it (laughs) my mom's like what's juniper berries (laughs) that's not using chinese cooking we'll get you hooked up Uh, yeah no i i will be keeping an eye out for those but that's a great idea thank you so much for being on this i'm so grateful for your time i know as a new dad and you're a busy entrepreneur this is very very valuable and the fact that you're sitting in a closet for acoustics for me is like <laughs> you can tell you can tell so grateful. <laughs> um, but why don't you tell them where they can find you? Because they need to keep in touch. They need to follow all of yeah, your antics. Yeah, on, on Instagram um, at Daniel Janetis. So it's D A N I E L J A N E T O S. 
Um, and that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. And you've got eFresh meals. If you guys want meal delivery delivered to your house, you don't have to cook, save on the dishes, check out at eFresh meals on IG. And uh, yeah. Dan's going to hook you up with nutrition. If you want to follow me, your host, um, you can find me at kombucha.mummy on IG. And of course, the podcast is at Booch Please Podcast. Uh, yeah, that's all for today. I'm still working on the outros <laughs> on these episodes, but have a great day, everyone. Bye. Ciao. Yeah.